Today on Inside the Ropes, we talk to Lucas Michelle, who's had his master's dreams drastically altered, and Mark Unwin, the Superintendent's Association boss, who's working feverishly to make sure we all have courses to come back to when this corona problem finally abates. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 157 in these crazy, crazy times. Hopefully most of you are doing okay without golf, and I say most because not everybody. Mark Hayes and Martin Blake have necessarily fallen into line. There's a load to get through the on the show today, um, and we'll knock it all off on the way through. Lucas, Michelle, we're going to talk to a super about the impending problems uh, that might be facing that industry and golf courses all over the place. Hazy, good to see you, mate. Yeah, you too, Murray. G'day, Blakey. It's just uh, it's hard to sort of keep track of everything that's going on. And obviously, we had some bad news, which we we're about to discuss this week about clubs being recommended to close as well. So yeah, it's it's a tough time. Is it the right thing, Blakey? Is, have we got to that point where you know golf clubs and golf not so much golf clubs because I think we already understood that the clubhouse was going to be affected, but golf courses is it is it the right thing that they fall into line here? Um, I think it is, Andy. Um, it's a difficult question because uh, the the advice that came out yesterday from the government was that they didn't want pe- they, you know they only wanted people to go out to shop, medical stuff, exercise, work, and education. And it could have golf could have come under the category of exercise. Some people are arguing. I just think that the look is bad to keep playing golf. And I'd say the same about racing at the moment, which is continuing to function. I think it's a bad look when you, you know, what are we about here? We're trying to stop this virus or slow it down at the very least, protect our protect our health system, protect our health workers, protect our older and vulnerable people and get on top of it. And we actually are, we are doing that. So... It's a hard call, I know, um, and I'd be interested to know, Hazy, what some of the machinations were yesterday with this uh, Golf Australia recommendation that clubs closed because a lot of people who are critical of the decision have been saying, well, it could have been constituted as exercise. But my understanding from Andrew Newbold, the chairman of Golf Australia, said that uh, the government made it pretty clear that golf didn't come under that category. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, you've summed up the whole situation perfectly, Blakey, and there's a lot of discussions. And, and, you know, from a Golf Australia perspective, we've been getting abuse for the last two weeks saying, why aren't you shutting everything down? It's a really bad look and it's endangering the community and all this sort of stuff. Yesterday when when we hit the button, it was like, what are you doing? We're we're living by all the recommendations you set up, no rakes, no no flag touching, all the things that we did. I had a couple of really nice emails, um, you know, really well constructed. I had a lot of abusive ones too, which I – uh, again, reiterate from last week. I just won't respond to them. It's just, uh, it's. I don't care how bad the situation is. There's no need to abuse people in emails. Uh, but yeah, we did have, um, you know, uh, praise and criticism yesterday for the decision, as we did for keeping them open the previous week or the other way around. Um, there's no winner here. It's very hard position to defend that golf is not exercise. Um, that's the key point. Uh, that's how we act. You know, the spirit of that. Um, I guess advice from the government or order from the government wouldn't include sports per se. It, it, it's about your personal exercise regime, you know, whether it's 
cycling or jogging or walking or doing that sort of thing. It doesn't take into account sports. I reckon is the is the uh, the inference of that ruling, and I and I think that Golf Australia. This is not this is me as a punter talking. Has done an excellent job in advocating for clubs and players and superintendents and everything like that throughout this, and we're just regurgitating advice from the government. So um, it's a it's a it's a no win situation. Very hard case to prosecute that golf is an exercise, uh, and when you you know. Like you and I, Blakey, we might be on opposite sides of the fairway for 16 of the 18 holes. It's hardly a social distancing problem. Andy, what do you think? Well, I think I always think regulations are um, like these are not designed for the people who are considerate and thoughtful and yeah. will do the right thing. They're, they're designed for the five or ten percent of people who are going to thumb their nose at the recommendations, I'm not going to play by those rules. I'm not going to get it. I'm not in the hit zone. I know what I'm doing. Everyone else can get stuffed. And and that's why you get situations like Bondi and the Melbourne beaches and all these other things where you see premiers like Dan Andrews eventually start to lose his mind a bit. Um, So I think think that's, that's where you find yourself, getting these things. Well, Just for perspective, boys, uh, England golf courses are closed uh, and have been for some time, and obviously they've got a, you know some pretty big problems over there, to say the least. American golf courses, from what I can work out, some are still open, um, and some, some, and some of yeah, well, some of some have chosen just to close. In Australia, even before this this recommendation came down, Hazy, some of the courses had chosen to close already. I know that the national down at Cape Shank in Victoria had had closed a few days earlier. The Victoria Golf Club on the Sandbelt in Melbourne had closed. So some clubs had just taken the view that they wanted to shut it down. Look, it's a big decision. It's got huge economic uh, ramifications for golf clubs, and we'll probably talk a bit about that later. But, uh, look, surely, you know, I just feel like we've got to bite the bullet here and and go hard and try to get on top of this. That's That's what I feel. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Blakey. Again, and, and I, you know, I wanted to keep playing as long as I could, but you know, you've got to do what's right by the community. I think that uh, you know, other clubs shut down. The Australian shut down last week. Royal Sydney shut down at the weekend. There were other clubs in other states, um, you, you know, right around the country. I think Peninsula Kingswood, your club, Andy, um, you know, took the decision last week after being really proactive the week before, taking temperatures and things. Yep. I think one of the things that Golf Australia has done is put a uniformity around the whole thing. You look in the different aspects of the society, we're all screaming out, well, I know I am, but I think it's generally, we're all screaming out for leadership uh, and a united voice to, to guide people through this, a Jacinda Ardern sort of message. And I'll look, for, I'm really proud that Golf Australia has taken uh, you know, a uniform approach here and not let it drift state by state, territory by territory. I know some people aren't going to like this, but we'll get better quickly if we all do it together, whatever it is that we do here. Mm. Imagine if just, just just for, you know, however many people are listening to this, but imagine if you, imagine if you, you don't abide by this, right? And imagine if you keep playing on your Wednesdays and your Saturdays in groups of four with, you know, nine-minute intervals, whatever it is between, t- between groups. Imagine if somebody at your club contracts a virus and imagine if that person dies. And imagine if it comes to pass that he was he or she were abiding by every other recommendation, but their outlet was golf. And they were fine. They were okay. 
and they but they went to their golf club and the and and the QEDs and the line of you know the, the 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 kind of forensic line that we retrace back is well the chances are this they may have caught it at the golf club just imagine right this worst absolute worst case scenario stuff but that's why that's what a lot of other people are doing that's why a lot of other people are staying home that's why they're not doing this and they're not doing that and they're not going to the movies and they're not surfing and they're not well some people are but all the things that most of us have, have stopped doing not because I feel like I'm going to get it but Somebody else might, and somebody else might pass it on to the wrong person. And if it say, and this is the saves one life thing mentality. If it's safe, one person gets saved by everybody doing the right thing here. Well, um, it's it's not an it's not an unreasonable price to pay, is it? I, I, I don't think it is anyway. But that's just my view of this stuff. It's probably a bit naive. No, Andy, it's 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 shared by a lot of people. As I said, there's there's. If you could read the uh, inboxes and social accounts of Golf Australia, you'd, you'd see that there are people who actually agree with you, and you'd also see that there are people who are so vehemently opposed you wouldn't, you couldn't imagine some of the abuse. Um, you've just got to draw the line here somewhere, though. I, you, you didn't, you need to put your grandfather or your, you know, your That's great right. uncle or something in the picture here. You need to, you need to put it in perspective that actually hits home to you because what you're doing is a, you know. 20-something-year-old, you feel bulletproof. Uh, that's not the case for the majority of people in, in society, especially golf. So, um, I don't know. I agree with both of what you've said. I, I just think it's time for a communal approach to this, and I'm really – I'm actually even proud of the leadership that's been shown here by, by Golf Australia. Right. Uh, outside of that, that's, a, that's been seismic clearly, you know, in Australia, you know, in the last, since we sit, last sat down. It's like, the Olympics now is – push back to 2021 we now know that um recalibrations are going to take place everywhere there's absolutely no doubt that golf will be part of the tokyo olympics in 2021 no there's no doubt and the dates were set we're obviously doing this on a tuesday the dates were set overnight by um thomas bark i think his name is the ioc boss uh so it's the exact same dates i think it's july 23 to august 8 in 2021 remarkably they're going to be called the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, even though they're going to be in 2021. But all right, uh, the marketing powers that be have decided that all the, those <laughs> those things are harder to change with merchandise and all the <laughs> technicalities and things. So we're going to be having Tokyo 2020 in 2021. Uh, look, the the fascinating thing around all this, because this has been coming for a while, as we've been intimating, um, to me is the selection. So if you were in the I'm not sure which is a good example of a team to pick, but let's just say that archery was already resolved and you're in the Australian team for 2020. You will be in the Olympic team of 2021. They won't reopen qualification. Uh, Golf was not in that position. Um, There was still basically when things shut down three months to go in the qualification period, which I know they were different for men and women, but effectively they were both around the end of June. So there's sort of three months of qualification to go, and there really there's two big issues at play here. One is the schedule, which we can touch on in a second for 2021, and the second is if golf was to reopen, let's just pick a date and say September the 20th. That would leave us with doing my maths on the fly here, eight or nine months up until June 2021, in which you could qualify. And is that fair on the people who were basically already or just about to be qualified this year? That's the big question. So. They've got to really rethink about 
uh, when they open qualifications again and when they shut qualifications again? Do you leave it the same three-month window that we had just taken away from us? And whenever that is from when we resume, that's the dates. Maybe that's going to be the case, but that hasn't been decided yet. Um, I think it would be unfair of someone who is currently in, say, a Mark Leishman, uh, if they weren't able to be uh, – if they were run over on the eighth month of nine by a Cam Smith and got it, who got into the team, if that makes sense. So uh, it's a tough decision. The other one, which is the they're hurriedly trying to reconfigure all the plans, not just for golf but all the sports around the uh, the calendar of what 2021 looks like. It's, it's, it's logistically a massive task. And what about the Masters, Andy? Uh, it looks like, well, next week was going to be the Masters, and I think we're going to talk to uh, Lucas Michel later, who's in the field for whenever that is. They're talking October now, which is in the fall over there, as I understand it. The trees are going to be red. Um, yep. No azaleas, no dogwood. Imagine that. Uh, look, who, who knows when they can actually play that? Uh, maybe they'll play it without a crowd. I, I don't know. But uh, with this... You know, COVID nineteen. It's just so unpredictable. What what what's coming? Oh God, no! From a skill like the way you the way that you've painted the the picture going forward, hazy is just a it's a mind spin, and um, there's so many competing interests um, that all need to be kind of factored into the whole thing. And there's massive uncertainty still as to this is the whole thing. We're all throwing, we've got our eyes closed at the moment, and we're throwing darts at a dartboard because. No one knows when when this thing's going to peter out or we're going to get on top of it, particularly over in the States. Like like America, it feels like America's yet to even get close to um, mm. getting an appreciation for how devastating COVID-19 is going to be over there. So they're, they're just – they've got their – some of those people over there in the highest of offices seem to have their head in the sand and are just hoping if a, a fairy comes along and wiggles a wand and the whole thing goes away. But – uh, we we just got no idea how this thing's going to play out over there. No, no and I I uh, had a chat yesterday with um, Adam Scott's manager. I was trying to contemplate a couple of logistical things that we could get him involved, including coming on the podcast again. And Scotty basically politely declined, even though he's happy to come on with us any time. I think, but he just doesn't want to come on and face speculation. Yeah, questions. fair enough. And, and I said to, I said to his manager, I said I'm not really sure. Um, you know, what, what would be asked in a public forum. But on the podcast, we may not ask that. And he said, no, mate, come on, you know, you'd get into it. And the, one of the first few questions would be is, you know, so do you think you'll be, do you think you'll play the Masters this year? And he doesn't want to get into speculation because, and totally justifiably, he doesn't know. They've got no idea when they're coming back. They've got no clue in the slightest. So uh, anyway, um, I just wanted to say that, you know, golf is one of the sports uh, and then there are others. There are plenty of others, by the way. It's not just not just golf, who have a, I guess a a reluctant um, agreement schedule wise to to burn their schedule once every four years, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. there are plenty of sports that think it's a bit of an uh, an inconvenience to take a two or three week break out of the, an already jammed schedule. There are plenty of sports. The most notable one probably is Winter Olympics. Every time it comes around, the NHL goes into complete chaos mm. when that happens. That's the best example. Golf is in that category, um, and it's problematic to shift all the plans for the major championships in particular for 2021 because they're already in, in, in train. So, you know, it is not, it's not just a matter of let's pick a date because 
everything else is already set. It's it's rejigging not only this year, as we all know, but next year as well. It's 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 uh, it's a big undertaking. Hazy, is it a concern for the Australian Open, which we don't, as I understand, it, we don't have a, an exact date for Kingston Heath later this year? But you know, it would normally be somewhere in the late November, early December time slot, and the, the same could be said for the Aussie PGA as well, which is at Royal Queensland. Um, if the US tour is pushing back all of its events and trying to run some sort of season later than usual, like they normally finish it at the end of October, um, they're going to bust into our, our time and space, aren't they? Is that, that yeah. That's going to be a big concern. 100%, Blakey. The, uh, you know, the rumour is strong that they still want to try and get all four men's major championships in. We're talking men's golf here. If that was to... Um, uh, if that was to be, you know, the Open had to be first because the weather was packing it in in Britain, but we still had a chance in Georgia and we still had a chance in California to get the PGA and the Masters done. Uh, and the US Open was, you know, who knows. Um, then definitely that schedule is going to go into September, October, and possibly even deep into November to get that all run and done. They'll take priority over everything else in the world, uh, which is a good thing. It'll be it'll be huge for golf to have a jam-packed schedule like that, but it impacts on all the, on all the second-tier, third-tier tournaments below it in a huge way. Uh, there's no certainty around schedules. You don't know who to contract with in terms of key players, marquee players. Um, mm. and, and also the biggest issue right now is the sponsors of all the oh. events, not just not just the Australian Open. I mean, what are mm. they doing? If they're, if they're laying off, 10 workers, 2,000 workers, whatever it is that they're doing, are they really – and, and you, you've got to be realistic about this. Are they putting golf tournament sponsorship as the key priority? That You know, that's really doubtful at this stage. So what is just normal practice for all of us in terms of tournaments is not going to be this year. I think that's a really good point you make right at the very end of it. Hey, listen, Lucas Michelle's ready to go. So why don't we uh, put a line through the first segment here – uh, have a chat to a young man whose life should have been entering arguably the most exciting week of its uh, journey through the game of golf on the other side of the break. We're going to talk to Mark Unwin a bit later on. We won't explain too much now, but but what, the, the, the question we'll be asking him is, what happens to golf courses if um, staff, if, if we go into a level four here, lockdown, what happens to golf courses, the actual physical golf course? We'll have a chat about that with him uh, when we get there. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Lucas Michelle up next. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you with us uh, on Ep157. Um, it's with a bit of a heavy heart, lads, that we introduce our a good young friend of the podcast, a young man whose journey we've followed with a great deal of interest here on Inside the Ropes because... This time, I don't know, four months ago, we were talking to Lucas, probably not even that long ago, we were talking to Lucas Michelle about something he should be doing right now. And this mm. coronavirus has taken that away from him. Good enough to join us on the show. Lucas, thanks for your time, mate. Um, how, are you, how are you coping with this altered reality of yours? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me back on. Um, it's certainly not where I was expecting to be at the moment. I think I was probably... April, April first. I was planning to get into near Augusta, so uh, that would be tomorrow. So it's it's all yeah, a little different. I'm at home, self isolating. 
I came back to Australia last Saturday, so 10, 10 or 11 days ago. Um, so I've got a few more days of my self-quarantine, um, but there'll be no golf, unfortunately, um, with the courses shut. So I've got a little net set up in my backyard that I'm hitting a few balls into and um, got a little gym I've set up in the backyard as well. So I'm just sort of passing time by doing as much as much as I can. But yeah, it's it's not as interesting as it maybe should be. <laughs> I mean, as, as salubrious as the Michelle backyard might be, I can't imagine mm. it's the first tee at Augusta National. <laughs> no, not quite, not quite. Um, I've been pretty thrifty with a few of the materials. I've set up a net. I've got a little mat. I've got a gym set that I've made out of bricks and a few poles. So, um, yeah, it's pretty funny, but it does a job. It does a job, but, yeah, doing it as best I can. You mentioned, you know, that this would have been kind of day one or tomorrow would have been day mm. one of your schedule leading into that um, date with the first tee. Had you had the rest of your time, you know, mapped out leading up to hitting that first tee shot? Um, I had a pretty good idea of what I was going to do. So I was going to spend April sort of one through three or four around Augusta, but not on site. Right. So it was going to be, there's a course called Palmetto. Um, and there's another one called Sage Valley um, that's up there that I was going to probably be prepping at and then get to Augusta the Saturday before tournament week, so April 4, and then play all the way through till Wednesday. Probably not 18 holes a day, maybe a few a few lots of 18, but um, a lot of nine holes and a bit of practice and just take it easy and not try to do, not, not overdo it. Um, yeah, that was the plan. So you've sort of done something that's A, really good, but B, really disastrously teasing, if that's a phrase, Lucas. You've actually gone over there and done some homework and some scouting, I understand. Is that right? Yeah. So I went – yeah, the reason I was over there, I got there in sort of mid-March and played uh, played the course there a few times. Luckily, had a member host me. Um, so I stayed stayed in the uh, Butler, Butler cabin. For a couple nights, which is pretty oh. good, um, and then yeah, played the course uh, three times in the par three points, and um, it was a really good time. At, at that point, I actually already knew that the tournament was called off, so um, it, it was a little bit yeah, obviously disappointing knowing that. But I just tried to enjoy that that experience as much as I could, and um, I had my good friend and caddy, the guy that's going to caddy for me, Masters, Will Davenport. He was there, so um, yeah, we had a good time, but. Um, yeah, in the back of my mind, I kind of knew that everything was up in the air and um, just try to enjoy it as much as I could. So how do you book a room in at the Butler Cabin? How does that actually come about? How, what, what do you do to secure that? Yeah, so to stay on site, you've got to be with a member. And I'm not sure if the members actually have any sort of ability to book specific cabins, but Butler Cabin's one of the, the member um cabins that the members can stay in when they go there so just so happened that that was the one we're staying in there's i think there's five or six of them um or maybe more actually but there's a lot of cabins and there was a lot of members there um so they were putting them all up in the various cabins um but we got butler which was pretty nice and, and what t- describe it to us what was it what i don't know hopefully you're allowed yeah. to describe it but yeah what, I think what, I what was in there um so it i mean we were in the main floor 
downstairs in the basements where they have the presentation, the ceremony, yeah, with the jacket presentation. Um, but we were on the main floor. It was just a really nice. It was like a house, just a really nice house. Um, but some of the cabins are huge. Like you play the par three course, and that's sort of the other side of the clubhouse. And from the the main course side of the clubhouse, the cabins just look like they're one story. Maybe maybe have like a loft up top, but mainly one story. But you go to the other side of the clubhouse and you can see them, and they're they're all like three or four stories um, high. So they're huge things. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe they're not really cabins. They're proper mansions, really. Um, but yeah, they're they're really nice. they've got everything you need, and um, yeah, we we stayed there. We had dinner every night in the clubhouse, and um, yeah, it was a pretty awesome experience. So, so Lucas, so, what what, uh, what tees did you play off, and what did you shoot? By the way, um, we played all the tournament tees. So I've been there a few times now, and played every time. Played the tournament tees because it is it's very short off the members' tees. I think it's like maybe 6,000 metres or 5,000-something metres off the off the member yeah. tees, whereas the tournament tees, it's like 6,000, 700, 800 metres. So we played the tournament tees. Um, first round, I struggled a bit. I might have like four over, and then the second round, I had three under. So that was pretty good. Um, and I, I, I went eagle on 13, birdie on 14, birdie on 15. So before that, I was kind of playing okay, and then – that kind of got me going and then finished off pretty solidly. So, yeah, it was good. So, so what did you hit? Tell us. I mean, this would really drill yeah. it down here, but what did you, how did you play 13 in particular? Just tell us what, what yeah. you did there. So, 13, I hit it a pretty good drive around the corner. It went just into the rough through the fairway. And I think I had like a six iron in or something like that. Hit six iron to probably 20 feet. And, and where, was, where was the pin? Pin was sort of like middle right, okay. maybe toward the back. Um, so I was about maybe 20 feet short left of it. And it was funny because my caddy, Will, actually hit an almost identical shot and he rolled in the eagle putt um, just before me. He had 25 feet. He rolled that in and then I rolled it in on top of it. On top of him. So um, we both made eagle there, which is pretty cool. And our hosts were pretty excited by that. Um, and then and what about number was, What was that? What about number 12, um... How did you 12. feel when you got to 12? Because uh, from personal experience, having been <laughs> lucky enough to, to play there, my head came off when I got to number 12, when I was lucky enough to play there, and yeah. I, I put two in the uh, Ray's Creek. Yeah. So those balls are still there probably. Uh, there's yeah. a few fish in that creek as well. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty surreal experience to walk, walk over that bridge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. In the, in the morning... I think it got to me a little bit and, and that they don't lie about the wind swirling because I thought thought I hit a perfect nine iron. It was a front left pin. I thought I hit a perfect nine iron and came up probably five or six metres short, so in the water. Um, in the afternoon, I think I took an eight and went past the pin um, and just two putted from the back edge. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something different. Coming down that hill on 11, um, you really – takes you back to like visions of your childhood watching it on tv and yeah it's it's awesome it's exactly how it looks on tv it really is like obviously better because you're there in person but it's it's kind of uncanny how much it looks looks like it yeah, to me it's it's um it's a bizarre thing because whether you're lucky enough to go and play or walk or whatever it is mm. every tournament you go to 
you sort of reach a new course and even if you've been lucky enough to be to a, uh, I don't know, let's just say Pebble Beach once or twice, it, it's something you see and, and you pick up different things. But I reckon Augusta National has that amazing thing, as you alluded to, Lucas, where we're so familiar with every sort of nuance about it. There's no surprises when you walk in. It just still, mm. it still blows you away, but it, it, it's exactly as you see it. Yeah, there was probably a couple times on the front nine where I sort of looked around and saw things. I was like, oh, like I didn't realise that was that way and that was this way. But when you get to the back nine, it it really is exactly how you manage, imagined it. And the amount of times I've watched the back nine happen there, like I feel like I know every slope and um, every break in the green. So it's pretty cool. To did see. you feel when, when you got on that run, did you feel like you were sort of part of something bigger? Yeah, it felt really cool. Yeah. I think whenever you like whenever you kind of play well on a good course, like I was lucky enough to live in St Andrews and um play the old course a bunch. And whenever you got on a good run there, it felt like you're living and breathing the same air as the best players in the world. It's pretty cool. See, so maybe we can hear the sort of spark in your voice and see the mm. glint in your eye on a Skype thing here, but mm. is it something that's sort of laced with disappointment or is it something you're glad you've done and you know doesn't really matter what happens from here yeah i think i think i i hope the masters is going to happen regardless i think it will like it's going to happen i'm going to wait it out regardless of what happens so um i'm trying to take it as best i can um i hopefully means i just got more time to prepare and practice and get my game in good shape and um yeah better chance of playing better which is important did you speak to the locals lucas about how different the course plays you know from april to maybe october i didn't we didn't really chat about that because i didn't really hear about october until after i left um there was a few words when i was there literally as i was leaving that a girl that drove us to um to where we were staying outside of the course said you know, they were talking to schools and stuff about October, but I didn't get the chance to talk to like my caddy or anything like that about October. But I think what I think the deal is like from what I've heard, they oversaw with ryegrass, so they normally do that. I think September, October. So they might not do that. It might just be a pure Bermuda grass golf course in in October, which would be really interesting. It might play a bit firmer and faster and. I don't know. I really don't know what they'll do, but it, it could play really differently. I heard another whisper uh, yesterday, Andy, actually, that uh, and Lucas and Blakey, um, someone who should actually know was thinking about November. The person who told me was in the know. So mm, um, okay. there's nothing set in stone about October, that's for sure. So, no. okay. What's the That'd weather like? Yeah, yeah, what's the – does it, it must be – so I don't know about Georgia in in November, getting went, that close to kind of yeah. winter. But what, what's it what's it like down there then? I went in December because I went ju- just after I was open and before Christmas because that was the only time if I was going to go. It was the only time I had time in my schedule. And December was there was nice days. Like I was there two of the three days I was there. It was like twenty degrees and sunny. Yeah, right. Yeah, great. Um, so that's December. I imagine November would be fairly similar to. I guess April. Lucas, have they have you had a chat with anyone about what happens to your invitation if it isn't played in twenty twenty? Like if if it's held over and not played at all, do you get to play in twenty twenty one? I haven't heard anything, but 
I'm assuming if the Masters isn't played, then I'd be very surprised um, if the mid-am was played. And then in which case, I'd hope to be, yeah, hmm. receive the invite. I mean, if the mid-am got played again, then it might complicate things a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping they, they're nice and maybe they invite two mid-ams if that happens. <laughs> so what do you Although, do... They do have the scope, obviously, because it's an invitational yeah. tournament to make their own decisions. It's not correct. beholden to the same rules as the tour. So, mm. what well, you mentioned, you set up in your backyard, Lucas. But with golf courses, you know, if they're not shutting down, the recommendation is that they do. What mm. are you? What are you doing with your? What are you doing with your golf? Like, it goes yeah. into hibernation. But so is, is that a yeah. concerning, or what? What do you do about that? It's not a bad. It's not a bad thing, really. I've, there's a couple technical things I've been working on in my golf swing. And for everyone sitting at home, it's not a bad time if you need to make some swing changes. If you've got a net, if you've got a mat, just to try and make some swing changes. Um, because when you don't have the ability to see where the ball's going, sometimes it's good to nail down a few technical changes. And there's a few things I've been trying to work on and... Um, didn't really have enough time before the Masters to really nail it down. So I'm trying to take the opportunity to work on a few things, get my ball striking a little bit better, which is probably the one area of my game that's maybe not been the best in the last six months or so. Blake, yeah, I don't want to make light of the current situation, but you might need the bubonic plague to actually sort out a few of your uh, swing kicks. <laughs> Absolutely no doubt. I actually like it when you can't see where the ball goes. <laughs> hey, Lucas, um, I was just wondering, you know, you mentioned the mid-amateur, which you won last year. For those listeners who don't know, that's how you got into the field. But for Augusta, but you also are in the US Open uh, field uh, if that in fact happens, um, I'm wondering about that, and also whether you'd had a chance to get up to New Jersey yet to see your name on that very famous USGA honor board, which um, uh, yeah. they have at the museum in New Jersey, where, that, where they list all the USGA tournament winners. Uh, have you seen that yet? And are you, is that on the radar? Well, no, I've never made it up in my last trip before. I, I did see the video that they put up online of all the, the new names that went up at the end of last year. Um, and I managed to pick out my name from the, the list. But I was going to – the plan was in April, so straight after the Masters, I was going to fly up to New York, play a few rounds of winged foot, and then it's not far from winged foot to where the headquarters are, and I was going to go check it out. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, that all got called off. So I might have to do it at another point. Um, with the US Open – I don't know. I've heard a few things like, don't know how true the rumor is about moving it to Oakmont. Um, I heard something online about, because Oakmont's always the course where they say, oh, they could set it up for a US Open within the space of a week just because the course is always just perfect and like basically set up like a US Open. Um, so I don't know how true that would be. Um, I've played Oakmont before, which would be pretty cool to go, go up there and play it there. But yeah, I can't see the the, uh, the open happening in June um, in New York with the way things are going up there. It doesn't look too good. No. Well, mate, um, we would have loved to have been uh, watching you do uh, things differently than talking to us on our little Skype boxes uh, in the coming days. Uh, that's not to be for the time being, but with a bit of luck, it will be down the track. I know you, I can see your finger rose hazy, so before I wrap this oh, up... Before I, you wrap it up, I just have one quick question for Lucas, because... Yeah. 
he's an uh, you know he's a searching, probing sort of a soul. I want to know if you went down and even donned that shirt that we can see you wearing now with your Augusta National shirt here mm-hmm. on Skype. Uh, did you go down and put that on in the bottom of Butler Cabin and pretend someone was Jim Nance? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I sat down there actually with my caddy and we had like a, a whiskey um, sitting on the couches um, in front of the fireplace there, but um, we didn't reenact the oh, nice. reenact the, uh, the, the jacket ceremony or anything like that. <laughs> Can I tell you my little Jim Nance story? I have a Jim Nance story. Okay. So, you know, the, uh, and this was pointed out to me by uh, former Melbourne Ruckman uh, Jeff White, who pointed this out to me on Twitter. Now, Jeff White is a fanatical, in fact, he's more fanatical about his golf than he ever was about his footy. And he sent a tweet to me the other day about the 2018, you know, the official Masters films, the 2018 uh, official Masters film, which Hazy, you and I were there, uh, the year that uh, Patrick Reed won it. And on the US, on the official US, this is my only Masters claim. Uh, to on the official US Masters film, at the end of the second round, up goes the leaderboard, and Jim Nance goes, "Well, after two rounds, it's Patrick Reed leading." Blah blah blah. And he does his little thing, and then there's a bit of a pause, and you hear the falling uh, rain hitting you know, umbrellas and everything at the commencement of the third day, and the next piece of so it's Jim Nance, rain drops. Then me, my voiceover saying, well, conditions are uh, – the weather's come down here for the start of the third round. And you, you, the thing that you and I were doing, Hazy, out of our little cabin, there's about 20 seconds of me setting up the day's uh, pie and then it goes back to Jim Nance. So it's Nance, Ma, Nance. That is – if I had a microphone in my hand right now, I'm dropping it. That's it. For me. I'm done. Your head is wobbling, Andy. You are furiously wobbling your head at the moment. The Jim Nance of Australia. No, no, that, that claim belongs to someone else. Uh, yes. But we don't need to talk about him right now. Yeah. Yes. Hey, uh, Lucas, hopefully in the 2020 or the 2021 official Masters film, you are featuring heavily, far more heavily than I ever was. So <laughs> thanks. Thanks, thanks for indulging. Thanks for indulging me in my pathetic story, and thanks for being with us today, mate. Good luck with everything. No worries. Thank you. Good thanks. on you. See you, Lucas. Lucas Michelle yeah. joining us on Inside the Ropes. Uh, heaps more to get through. In fact, we're going to talk to a super head of supers on the other side of this. Don't go anywhere. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, uh, and we're thrilled now to be joined. Well, I suppose thrilled might be a, a different word because uh, we'd love to him, for him to be joining us in different circumstances, but we're joined for the first time on Inside the Ropes by Mark Unwin, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Golf Course Superintendents Association. Welcome along, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. Yeah, mate, we do wish uh, strongly that it was under different circumstances, but the reason you've joined us today is... Uh, we all know the problems that are confronting golf courses in a in a front of house sense. Uh, you know what it's doing to courses, their staff, uh, in a catering etc. sense, and the players. But what we haven't really factored in is what what it's doing to a the ground staff and b the actual courses themselves, which is why you're here with us today. So what what is the impact if if we do shut the gates, if we elevate to a uh, level four lockdown situation, what is the impact that you see it at the moment? What's it going to be for for superintendents and their ground staff? Um, So at the moment, it's it's, uh, different between each state. 
Um, we've got uh, clubs that have closed down, as you've mentioned, Mark, the, the food and beverage arms, the pro shops, those sorts of things. And a number of um, stood down staff or, or significantly reduced the maintenance. So I think where we're at at the moment is uh, a little bit uh, proactive in one sense in trying to ensure that if it, if it does proceed to a full lockdown, similar to what they've done in New Zealand, uh, that those essential maintenance practices can continue. Um, it's uh, very fine turf golf courses. So um, there's a lot of concern around uh, unmaintained turf can deteriorate really quickly. Uh, and those sorts of things are, uh, you know, essential to a lot of communities, a lot of regional areas. Uh, there's a lot of uh, focus on uh, the community sense. And, and our fear is that a lot of those, sort of some $2 billion worth of golf assets will deteriorate within a week. Uh, and disease can run rife and those sorts of things uh, very quickly around fine turf. Mark, do you have a sense or an understanding of um, if there is to be resistance to that, What, why there would be uh, any resistance to, to keeping staff on? Uh, a, a general sense, Andy, is probably more around the social isolation and the requirements that have yep. come down at government directive. Uh, we've seen some great work, some really proactive work from a lot of golf clubs around Australia that are doing their best to keep all staff on, and that's course as well as operational staff. Um, resistance, look, we can understand that the government approach right now is to save lives, and we're very supportive of that. And we're doing all we can in terms of if this was to proceed to the next level, we think that there's a, a need for it, an essential need for that basic maintenance to be maintained, but certainly within the guidelines that the government have set down. So, so all courses are different. We understand that. So, so it's impossible to answer this next question, you know, in a blanket sense across you know golf courses in Australia. But what sort of timeline are you working on here, Mark? If if it does get to stage four and it's a, and it's a bad outcome for golf clubs and golf courses, what sort of time frame are we talking about where the the damage that could be potentially done to a golf course will be genuinely severe yeah severe um impossible to answer you're, you're right because it does vary greatly between warm season areas cool season areas um different parts of australia have obviously got different climatic conditions so uh it's it's probably uh, a point where we need to make players members those sort of social golfers aware that within a couple of weeks after any any lockdown period that a course can be brought back to a, a playable standard but it might not be to the pristine standard that a lot of superintendents and their teams have, have brought, spent years bringing clubs back to. So it, uh, yeah, it, it does vary, but at a minimum a couple of weeks, and that can be brought back with that basic maintenance being undertaken if it was to proceed to a lockdown. So, Mark, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago $2 billion. I assume that's golf because I read yesterday um, – you were fearful of $5 billion. And that, I assume with your other hat on, which is the, the boss of the, I'm going to get these names wrong here, the Australian Sports Turf Management Association, that that expands not only the golf clubs, but other sporting uh, fields and precincts around Australia to a much bigger sum. Yeah, it certainly does, Mark. And you're right, that that five is, is sort of a conservative estimate around the value of all sport and recreation assets pertaining to turf. So I think uh, racetracks, bowling greens, uh, private schools, um, community sport and recreation reserves, our major stadiums. So there's some some very valuable assets there that we, we believe should be maintained. Again, 
in the case of any lockdown. Mark, it's Martin Blake. Uh, have you got an example? Are there any examples from overseas where there was a lockdown where the industry was able to get some staff onto the golf courses? Uh, you know, how many staff are we talking about uh, to, to to do that basic maintenance? Yeah, there's a there's a couple, Marty, in in the UK. Um, uh, our counterparts over in the UK, bigger. Uh, have worked very closely with the RNA and, and Golf England uh, and successfully petitioned the government over there to allow essential maintenance throughout the lockdown period. Right. Uh, again, again, that does vary in terms of the number of staff per course, but it can vary between one and sort of four or five for those really top-end courses uh, that are much larger in terms of um, acreage. So maintenance practices there are mowing greens a couple of times a week, disease prevention, um, maintaining tees, uh, out-of-play areas are, are, are sort of taken on a, a needs approach, uh, managing weeds and those sorts of things. And my understanding is that that um, has really prevented a lot of uh, remedial work that needs to occur after the fact. Mark, as CEO of your organisation, um, how conscious are you of the human toll of this? If people are if people are stood down or laid off um, or, you know, their, their employment suspended indefinitely and they're not drawing wages, I know governments are making it, trying to make it as, as uh, trying to be as supportive as they possibly can, but people are taking cuts all over the place and sacrificing and, and losing. How conscious are you of the, the, the mental health uh, of, your, of, of, your, of the people who work under your constituency? Yeah, it's a good question, Andy, and it's something that we talk about a lot as a team. Um, turf managers across all facilities, and this isn't just to golf, uh, are probably one of the more passionate roles and passionate group of people that I have uh, ever had the pleasure of working with. If you think about the hours and uh, the dedication that they have put in to maintaining sports fields uh, for professional you know, A-League, W-League, uh, NRL, AFL, all those sorts of things. You know, the President's Cup for me is a great example of where the team worked for months in order to prepare a, a pristine Royal Melbourne course and, and Richard and the team did a, a fantastic job. And that dedication and that passion is the same no matter where you go across Australia to the courses that these guys love. So, you know, we've got at the moment... Uh, a very large amount of, of our uh, qualified greenkeepers that unfortunately have had to be stood down uh, due to course closures, and that does take a toll. By the same token, we're not too different from many, many other industries that are going through the same thing, and I think we're, you know, we're facing that, and as an industry, we're putting in place uh, as many measures as we possibly can to try and deal with that. And the irony of this too is for many people around Australia, the courses particularly probably in the southern half of the country, you're in as good a condition as they've ever been in this mm. summer and, and early autumn. It's, a, it's a, such a, a bad state of affairs. Mark, I just wanted to touch base. You, you, you've mentioned a couple of practices. Have you got an example of one or two different clubs? I, I understand that some are uh, doing rotations week on, week off for the existing staff, so basically having half, half measures in place. Yeah, there's a lot, uh, a lot of different examples you can bring out, but uh, I think the practices are fairly similar. It's splitting shifts with with staff. Uh, I know I was talking with Nathan up at East Lake Golf Club in in New South Wales, and 
Um, what they're looking at doing is assigning individual vehicles, maintenance vehicles, mowers, greens, mowers, those sorts of things to individual staff, individual two-way communication radios, disinfecting things like hole changes, um, uh, fuel bowsers and those sorts of things. Um, ben up at Headlands Golf Club in Queensland doing a similar thing, uh, staggering start times. Uh, and making sure that the, the teams are socially distancing themselves, no lunch in the locker rooms, in the communal areas, it's all outside on the course. So there's a range of, of options that the guys have employed to try and maintain what they can as best they can. And it should be said, we're not currently in a lockdown period at the moment. So there is maintenance going across all golf clubs. I think the superintendents by and large and turf managers across the board uh, have done a great job in making sure that the work that needs to be done can still continue in a safe manner. Mark, I just wanted to touch base uh, also on the uh, lobbying that you're undertaking. And I understand it's with full support of um, Golf Australia and other members of the Australian Golf Industry Council. And I'm assuming that reaches out to your other aspects of the Turf Managers Association. There's a, a fair bit going on in the back rooms at the moment. Are you having any luck um, with your approach to government? Um there is a lot of work. I'll start with that. And there's been some great support throughout the, the Golf Industry Council, the, the, the GMA, the PGA, the LPGA, Golf Australia, absolutely very supportive. Because I think we all understand what that ramification may look like coming out the back end of this. So in terms of luck, um, we've got some very strong conversations that are continuing. We haven't got an answer yet because we haven't proceeded to a lockdown. So I think what we're waiting for is if a decision is made, the potential for an exemption to be to be provided at that time. And that's certainly what we're angling for, certainly what we're hoping for, because we think it's essential. But as far as we go, that we know that the conversations are very, very productive and, and you know, fingers crossed, all things considered, those those assets will be able to be maintained throughout any proposed lockdown. Good luck, mate. There's a whole lot of reasons we wish you luck with that, um, but we do. So thanks for coming on and painting the picture from your perspective. It's a really interesting one and one that I think everybody listening today is better for having an understanding of. Thanks for your time. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Good on thanks, you. Mark, Un Mark Unwin, the CEO, Hazy, of the, go on, the Golf Course <laughs> Turf Managers of Australia Association <laughs> for the Prevention of Diseases in Grasses. Around what, what, I forgot what his title was. You had it's it. the Australian Golf Course uh, Superintendent's Association Chief Executive Officer. Thank you very much. He's, got, he's actually got like a business card that's about 12 inches wide. It's quite it's remarkable. On, it's on a big Charlie wrapper. Uh, <laughs> the um, titles, just as a little aside, titles are getting longer these days, Blakey. Back in the day, you were the editor of what the is, art. What yeah. are you, Andy, uh, Vice President uh, something? <laughs> oh, I have nothing. Vice President I, Front Bar. <laughs> I no, no, I have no title and nor will I ever have one. Um, yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, that's a really – that's such an interesting aspect to uh, the age in which we live but the impact that, um, you know, that, that shutdowns are, are having on, on the game that we're talking about but potentially even beyond that. These guys and girls in that industry are the heroes of the industry and they very rarely get credit. You see them so excited at the end of tournaments when they're – when the champion comes out and shares five minutes of their time, everyone just sort of takes it for granted. And they are they are rock stars in the golf industry, the superintendents and their greenskeepers. Um, you can't speak more highly of no. them. What he said. They do their work in the most ridiculous hours. So before dawn, when the golfers want to take over the course, after dusk, when they finally get kicked off. I mean, they are 
they're genuine stars. And it's amazing to me. I, that story um, resonated. When you see $5 billion, you sort of don't, until you think about the ramifications of what he was just saying, you, you sort of can't fathom that amount of money. But when you talk about, you know, getting your local cricket club or your footy club back up and running or the, you know, the racing industry or all the different aspects of turf management that he just, it, it defies belief how big a job that is. And I, I for one, I, I'm, I'm all for the shutdown, as we mentioned earlier in the earlier segments, but, you know, we really need to think about what that looks like afterwards because I think, you know, a, a million dollars of prevention here is well worth $5 billion worth of cure. No doubt about that. Um, okay, other bits and pieces before we wrap this up today. Um, any, what's, can I just get a little shout out? It, it's, it's easy to get a bit overwhelmed by, uh, in a negative sense at times, the, um, the impact of you know, the virus and what it's meaning to our lives. The boys on the – and this I know this is happening everywhere, and you may have your own examples of it, but, but the boys on the European tour have started yeah. this social media, and I think Paddy Harrington might have been the first <laughs> one to do it. Just tell a story and then pass it on, you know, declare two or three other members of the tour, tell, tell your funny story. And, and it's actually gone – well, it has gone viral – and they're all weighing in. And some of the stories are not that funny, but some of them are bloody hilarious. And a shout out to the to the fellas on the European tour who um, on a daily basis you can click on, um, you know, whatever social media platform you access and the yarns are worth having a listen to. They're only short, but they're bloody good. So well done to those boys. Andy, it's funny you mentioned that. I was going to mention it as well because what social media are you consuming as regards golf in the lockdown? I've been a bit caught up in YouTube. Um, for instance, I watched the 75 Masters the other day. Have you ever watched any of those final day coverage of the Masters, Hazy? Uh, I watched Sebi win the 1980 Masters the other day. So um, yeah, Andy, there's a lot, a lot going on. I heard Andy's commentary just in and around uh, oh, yeah. Jim, Jim Nance there for a while. I wasn't sure what that no, was. No, no, sorry. You heard Jim Nance's commentary in and around mine. <laughs> Jeff, mine just get the now, order right here. Uh, Hazy, what about Sarah Kemp's chipping into the ladder? Oh. Have you seen that one? That's I think that was on Instagram or, or uh, yeah. Twitter, one or the other, or both. That's gone um, completely nuts on social media just in Australia alone. Um, for those who haven't seen it, get it. Have a check it out. It's it's better than I could describe it. But she's got something a target set up uh, on each of five or six rungs, and she uses the same club to hit a ball three or four meters into the knocking the targets off at the different levels. It's really talented bit of work from Kempi. Uh, we might get her on at some stage in the next few weeks because she's she's clearly bored. Bored us. Uh, okay. Here's a challenge for the three of us. And our family, our Inside the Ropes family. So this goes out to everybody, including you, Falconer. Uh, why don't we all have a go? Let's all have a go in our own little backyards of the of the Kemp of the Kemp test. That's a good idea. I, if I, I'll um, I'll need something very low as a target because I will blaze several. <laughs> <laughs> There's already evidence of that, Hazy. We know yeah. that. Yes, so, I know that. Uh, yes, and uh, what about the L.E.T. women and their karaoke, in, highlighted by our own oh. Ali Whitaker. I think she enjoyed it a bit too much, Ali. She, uh, <laughs> that slow-mo bit with the hair and the sun backlit and all the rest of it, she uh, looked very um, Celine Dion-ish through that little uh, moment. 
I'm the only one who's embarrassed themselves on this show by singing, Andy. I had to crack it, Spandau Ballet, as you well remember. Mm-hmm. Next time Ellie Whittick is on, if she's not singing, I'm not doing the next show. That's <laughs> She needs to be doing that sort of work with us. Yeah, good point. Agree. Uh, any other bits and pieces before we wrap it up? Well, we talked briefly with uh, Lucas about possible shifts and stuff for the US Open, and it, it's, it's on the cards that that's going from June very soon. Um, I hadn't heard... Uh, Hadn't heard the Oakmont one. Uh, it would make sense that it moves to Pittsburgh. On short notice, that would be the club. Um, New York seems to be, uh, you know, ground zero again for all this stuff in the United States. So it's going to be very hard because um, winged foot's just you know, not very far at all from Manhattan, and that's where it's all happening. So there was another talk of a club, I forget the name of it, was at Westchester, again in New York and again facing similar problems. So... I think it's to watch this space and just wrapping the Olympic thing up and the, and the major championship movements. Um, there was uh, a move, the Evian Championship jumped into the hole created by the Olympics. So if it all comes to pass that the LET and LPGA tours get it back together again by August, the week of the Olympics for women will be the um, the sorry the, for the men rather. I think this August six to nine anyhow will be the week for the Evian Championship in Evian Le Ban, which is Blakey's favourite tournament location. Evian Le Ban. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I read something uh, hazy today in relation to the US tour. Uh, and, again, this is it's just I think, Andy, you described it as throwing darts in a wall. Uh, but they were talk, you know, there was talk about the end of June, trying to resume at the end of June. But, you know, I just can't, I, I can't, I can't see it. And the Open, the open Championship, well, um, you know, at Sandwich this year, that's that's got to be in doubt. Um, yeah, I, I I don't see a, a change or a turnaround very quickly at all. The big one, Andy. Um, I know that it's devastated you because it's the one that you look forward to on the annual calendar of golf around the world most uh, passionately of all the tournaments is the Outback Queensland Masters has oh, been. Yes. Um, tiptoed to 2021 so i know you want to get to um, to Biloela and 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 uh all those beautiful towns in in rural outback queensland you'll have to delay another year yeah my life won't be complete until i see the roma open play <laughs> on that uh, on that rotor uh on that tour but uh we'll get there one of these days um boys uh we continue uh, a pace um We'll see what happens in the next seven days when we next uh, gather and form a quorum here on Inside the Rope. So look forward to doing it These in this stage of social isolation. Uh, it's amazing how, how much you look forward to seeing a couple of faces staring back at you on a computer screen and having a chat about something you love. It's, um, it's something you become quite, um, quite connected to uh, and have an affection for. So we'll do it all again in a week's time, shall we? Will Sounds do. Good plan to me. Good on Thanks, you. Thanks, Andy. Blakey, good to see you and keep those magpies in the backyard warbling, my friend. Hazy, Thank keep you. the dogs barking uh, <laughs> and well fed, and I'll see you in a week. Lovely to see you smiling. Get that, uh, w- put some weed kill on that thing growing through your wall in the background there, Falconer. That uh, that looks subhuman and maybe man eating that plant that's about to attack you on our screen. Thanks for tuning in, folks. You've got no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe <laughs> Justin can take a photo and stick it out on our social media. This has been Inside the Ropes 157. Thanks to Lucas Michelle. Thanks to Mark Unwin. Thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.